0: Some people are maybe experimenting in slightly different ways with a combination of drugs that are both stimulant and consciousness expanding, and that leads you to make fucking wacky decisions that only prog musicians are gonna get.
1: You're still listening. This is our final
0: transmission. Here we are. Are you here, Jamie? I'm here, Sam. It's final transmission.
1: It certainly is. How's it going?
0: It's going great, man. I could not be happier right now. What about you?
1: I'm feeling pretty okay. We've got a good chat ahead of us. We're going to talk about The Burning from 1982. The
0: Burning. Oh, boy, do I have some things to say about this film. What about you? You a fan?
1: Well, let's find out, shall we?
0: Let's. No, there's nothing out there.
1: It's just dead air. Hey, Sam, guess what?
2: What, Jamie?
1: Uh, Final Transmission, this podcast right here is brought to you by Red Scare Industries.
0: The greatest punk rock label of all time.
1: They've uh, they've got a lot going for them, haven't they? Celebrating 20 years in 2024.
0: 20 big years, 20 big turnips. Uh, what do you like about Red Scare?
1: One of my favourite records ever is actually on Red Scare, and that is Masked Intruder's self-titled record.
0: That's a big, big shout. A huge sack of turnips right there.
1: It's a real, real record. It
0: is a real record. And uh, did big things. Uh, Huge band. Great band. Mysterious band.
1: Grab it before someone shoplifts it. Fuck yeah. Uh, And with that, let's get on with the, the chat, shall we?
2: Let's get back to it we should maybe synopsisize
0: yeah I mean I was thinking that I was thinking about that and I thought it is really simple to synopsisize in a lot of ways so why don't you uh, why don't you run her down for us
2: well okay so uh, interior
0: you could do the whole screenplay
1: (laughs) a summer
2: camp (laughs) Um, basically uh, a bunch of kids play a prank on their camp janitor janitor caretaker yeah Yeah. Um, and it goes kind of wrong and they set him on fire and that's the burning of the title, and then um, sometime later, I can't remember if it if it if it gives you an indication of how much time has passed. Presumably, it's five to seven years because of of reasons that we'll get onto later. This is a great synopsis, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> You're
0: killing it, buddy.
2: <laughs> so basically, uh, prank goes wrong, guy gets burned, uh, uh, summer camp comes back at some fixed point in the future. And and it and It, it his... is five
0: years, by the way. He gets out of hospital after five years. Yeah,
2: right. I couldn't. I couldn't quite remember if it was nailed on like that, but it must be.
0: They do that great um, voiceover where you 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 see them wheeling him out of the hospital, and the the doctors are all saying things like, "The skin graft just didn't take. You've been here five years. It's time to leave." You know, all that kind of stuff.
2: So so he gets out five years later, uh, and he or someone enacts their revenge upon a bunch of can a uh, bunch of kids at, the, at a camp is it him or is it a weird other kid who isn't that weird he's just sort of pretty normal although he did look at people in the showers at one time
0: yeah he really did and we'll get to that
2: we will get to that
0: that's a great synopsis and i think it, it does have that interesting division where it gives you an awful lot of stuff before the credits, which I really like. I don't know about you. I mean, that's a thing that's maybe coming back a little bit. I don't know. What do you think?
2: I think there is a bit of that. I think modern slashers tend to focus very heavily on the on the slasher on the killer themselves, and there isn't an awful lot of space for the for the victims or for the for the people who are who are slashies the slashed. So. That's the big delineation between like these sort of classic slashers, or even slashers up until mm. Scream, and it all gets a bit weird after Scream because I think people took the wrong messages from the from the the big temple eighty slashers and Scream, where they think, okay, cool, we got we got Jason, we got Michael, we got Freddy, we got Ghostface. This is the thing that people remember, so let's make it about them. So one of the films that's on our list is Hatchet. I don't know if you've seen Hatchet yet.
0: I haven't seen it, but I've uh, seen the cover, and I'm yeah. excited.
2: I mean, it's 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 great. It sort of sits on that fence quite nicely between a bit of both. Whereas, yeah, the the the, the beauty here is that is that you're uh, you spend quite a long time with those campers waiting to be mm. slashed. Um, I think maybe if if the film's guilty of anything, and it's guilty of quite a lot of things, but <laughs> but if the film's guilty of anything, it's a bit too much. There's there's a bit too much space there. You think so? Yeah, I don't think the characters are really strong enough to warrant that kind of, or that amount of uh, getting to know you time.
0: That's really interesting, because one of my biggest notes is that I find find the characters in this kind of head and shoulders uh, more believable, more relatable, and in many cases more likable than in a lot of slashes that I've seen of of that era. And what what I also found really interesting is that while while I immediately believe a lot of what's happening with them in their relationships and things they do, and maybe talk about some specifics later, what I really love is that you don't actually find out anything about them. It's all personality-based. It's all intuitive. So it's like, I like him because she is attractive to me because she did this, he did that. But there's no backstory for any of them except maybe one. And I found that really interesting. They didn't try and... Narrative-wise, no one's shoehorning in some reason for him to be that way. It's just take him on his, you know, his behaviour, first impression type thing.
2: I guess that's a a good shout. Like, you do sort of get dropped in with those people, and it's not like oh remember when we all came here on day one and we're all <laughs> yeah we're all friends and we all formed relationships based on mutual respect it's just like hey we're all you're just here
0: i like that it's messy because it's it's more real there's no like super hardcore established friendships it's all very bendy and, and everyone kind of hangs out with everyone and i found that really believable uh, especially in the dynamic of Camp counselors at a summer camp. A lot of its friendships out of circumstance. So people behave weird, and sometimes those like strange reactions to each other's behavior just felt really lived in from the very beginning. I thought it was cool.
1: I wonder if one of the
2: things that you're feeling there as well is because so much of the cast is really recognizable, and that's not mm. generally a thing in, in 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 these old slashers. Besides maybe Johnny Depp and the fact that we spent five movies or whatever with Heather Langenkamp
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and I guess Paul Rudd. And okay, I'm just I'm just listing off loads of. names it doesn't i guess my point is moot but i guess these 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 are people that you don't really associate with horror they're sort of quite highbrow people that are that are involved you've got brian backer you've got uh george costanza what's his actual name i've forgotten in this exact moment oh jason alexander jason alexander you've got holly hunter you've got you've got these people that are like big names now but Mm. but not not like paul rudd big names not buster rhymes big names that's buster (laughs) rhymes
0: Nobody went on to have like a super established Hollywood career that maybe runs up until now with any kind of relevance except maybe, I mean you could say Jason Alexander but not knowing enough about his career beyond George Costanza I see him as kind of a one trick pony.
2: Well, so I think the, the, the crop that came out of this movie mm. um, like your, your Braybackers your Jason Alexanders your Holly Hunters they're they're more like indie Jason Alexander does a lot of theatre a lot of musical theatre so it's all sort of quite highbrow and Holly Hunter I. I mean, obviously, she's she's in these sort of massive populist shows, yeah. but there's there's a bit of like indie cred that goes along with that. I, I mean, I, I wonder if that um, that sort of is is a because because they got on the the Miramax train quite early, and obviously, Miramax became a bit of an indie factory. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's that's kind of the uh, the inciting incident there for for the way that we perceive these these people.
0: It definitely seems to set a trajectory. I mean, the thing that I loved. I mean, the second I started watching this movie, I mean, one of the first people that I saw that I recognized was Brian Backer, And really the only things I'd seen him in was very small bit parts, except Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is is released the very next year. Um, So he looks almost exactly the same. Uh, It almost feels like, you know, he is Mark Ratner in a different situation in this movie. Like what would happen if Mark Ratner went to a summer camp and nobody liked him? Um, And I absolutely love just the second he pops on screen I think he owns every second he's, he's in this movie. I really, really love his performance. Um, he is a really difficult character to get a handle on in terms of like whether you side with him or whether you, you absolutely hate him or whether you're somewhere in the middle, you know, talking in specifics later, but he, he does a lot of stuff in this movie that I think is really challenging. I haven't seen someone do uh, that kind of like immediately caught red-handed shame in such a great, difficult to watch, squirmy, Horrible, uncomfortable way. Uh, he does a lot, really, really well in this movie, and I love it. And yeah, the second I saw Jason Alexander, it's one of those like, what? <laughs> what is this fucking guy doing in this movie? He's so
2: he's so weird in it as well because he's so like, yeah, it's so alien to to see him be this complete opposite role to mm. to George Costanza. It's it's just it's just very weird. It's un it's unfathomable.
0: I mean, does that speak to his? I guess his like depth as an actor. That in this he is, I mean, for all intents and purposes, very confident, a real showman. He's very outgoing. He's kind of bullish, and then obviously we get the neurotic mess of George Costanza. Is that is that breadth?
2: That's a, a good question. I mean, I don't know because I've not seen an awful lot of uh, besides what shallow how other things where he's where he's playing on the, the George Shall. Costanza persona. <laughs> Yeah, I you don't. I don't see an awful lot of things that where he's not doing that. Sure, but I will say when I was 15, 16, 17, I was the most confident person in the world, and now I'm in my thirties. Let's leave it at that. I I'm a very different person with a very different outlook and all kinds of neuroses and anxieties.
0: Mm. so he kind of aged into that role a bit I guess yeah
2: I wonder if that's what happened there or if maybe he's just a good actor it's
0: hard to acknowledge that he's a good actor
2: but especially after watching The Burning it's fucking awful like he's great but he's awful
0: I think he's fucking great in this You you see him and straight away he's standing there, you know, everyone's playing softball or whatever it is. You know, he's got that that other, who's the guy that sucks? Eddie has got his arm round him in that classic like all American kind of crossed arm across the chest kind of thing. And they're, they're talking about girls and he's got a full head of hair. And he's quite, he's not like built, but he's not like a saggy middle-aged dude at this point. He is quite attractive, I think. Like he's, he's got quite sharp features and he looks very switched on uh, and super confident from the beginning. And there's a, again, there's a lot that he does in this movie. I mean, more so than, I think, Brian Backer's character. He does more likable stuff. Yeah, uh, He is a little bit more, has a bit more gravity to him. But he also, you know, he does some shitty stuff too, and he's really convincing about it. I think it's a, another really good performance from, from those guys.
2: Yeah, I think he he really sort of highlights what you were saying before as well about how, like, the the, the friendships are quite fluid because he, as as like the... The broker of the group, or or whatever he he sort of weaves between those friendship circles, or between the the bullies and the the bullied, and the other people who are just sort of there. Yeah, he he's like that that conduit, really, that that ligature that keeps those keeps those people together
0: dude yeah he's the kind of guy he's a bit of a social chameleon like everyone knows one do you know what i mean he's not a jock but he's wearing that football sweater he's he's the 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 guy who can get stuff but he's not like a sleazy criminal guy he's he's just cruising on pure charisma i think the whole way through and i find that pretty endearing but still jarring uh, you know as a performance i think when you've got someone who built an entire career out of one role and spent years and years and years doing that one person you really do see them as that for a long time and obviously people's careers kind of get ended because of that but a, a fucking wonderful way to see him in a movie I think yeah. I loved every second that he was on screen this is obviously Fisher Stevens
2: I love Fisher Stevens
0: <laughs> his movie debut tell me about it what do you think
2: I think tiny little twink Fisher Stevens <laughs> is 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 something that i I just really enjoyed seeing I, I love Fisher Stevens ever since I was a kid and I thought it was okay to talk like that in short circuit um obviously it's not okay. We've all learned a valuable <laughs> lesson from the eighties that it's not okay to to dress up a slightly tanned white actor in in brown face and have them say those things. But I love Fisher Stevens. I think he's great. He did that after this. So yeah. He did do that after this. The plague in Hackers. Mm-hmm. Absolute I think my my favorite non horror villain in the movie. Right. I love I love him. I just I love Fisher Stevens. I've had very strong feelings for Stevens for a long time so seeing him in that sort of weird Paul from the Wonder Years role um is is just an absolute joy
0: there is a parallel there definitely yeah
2: and watching him get his face chopped off with a pair of shears was was an absolute joy to behold
0: pretty good fun he did that well and I think he's another one who I mean apparently based on what I've read about him over the years he he had a rough start in Hollywood I mean no surprises he he. He doesn't fit at all, anything, ever. He's definitely a character actor, I think, but one with a bit of scope. Yeah, seeing him as a gawky teenager, impossible to place his age in this. I didn't want to look it up to ruin it, really, but I think he might genuinely be about 15. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. And seeing him with, like, a shitty complexion and just, like, not an ounce of fat on him, like, clothes hanging off his body... You know, weird, like, bowl haircut. Yeah, like, and a, a uneven. Everything's uneven. Like, he he's wonky and he's janky and he he doesn't walk in a straight line at all. He's all over the show. And he was just, like, visually arresting from the start, obviously. Like, his look is so pronounced. You never forget him once you've seen him. Again, he just... Effortless, total confidence the whole way through this movie. Like, he doesn't second-guess a single moment of his... His role, I don't think you it just comes across like he is that guy, he is Woodstock.
2: Yeah, well, I think if the burning does anything right, it's that the performances are generally really good. Yeah, do you think he's called Woodstock because he looks like Woodstock from Peanuts?
0: I was thinking that because he has almost the exact same like head shape. Yeah, yeah, I think it could be.
2: I wonder if the character existed on the page called Woodstock or they or they got Fisher Stevens in it, were like, he looks like Woodstock from Peanuts.
0: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that's one of those like. Off the cuff things where maybe in real life people called him Woodstock because of how he looked, and they translated it into the movie. Maybe yeah, we'll look that up. We'll do a we'll do a fact check on that. He's
2: not a long haired stoner guy. No, exactly. Which is the only other reason you would call someone Woodstock in a in an eighties slasher movie.
0: Yeah, what year are we in for the burning? Is it nineteen eighty? It was yeah. It was
2: made in nineteen eighty one, and we should probably address one of the other elephants in the room that this is uh, yeah nineteen eighty one. So it's a year after Friday the Thirteenth. It's mm-hmm. a very similar premise. Yep. Or location. Um mm. it's a slasher. There's there's a revenge element in there. Mm-hmm. It's better than Friday the thirteenth. Wow. Crikey. I mean it's it's Tell me more. It's ju- it's just as nasty. Mm. Similarly as nasty. Mm-hmm. It's plot wise, it's it's very similar, beat for beat. I really I think this, I think, the burning does some more interesting things, and I think the performances are better. I love the first-person stuff. I love the stuff that takes place out of the the summer camp, mm-hmm. the stuff in the hospital, stuff with. I knew you'd love the, that. <laughs> this doctor, right? He's like, oh, you want to be a doctor? <laughs> That's my impression of of that one guy. Uh, uh, like the guy who wants to be a doctor. Is he like having like a, like, a late stage career change? He's like
0: fifty. He's like fifty. <laughs> I got that in my notes and he's shitting bricks about looking at a burn patient
2: it's his first day on the ward. I mean he should have been shitting bricks because that was quite a scary little moment but that was horrific but yeah I I, I love that I love the stuff with the character that is, that is named Hooker in the credits
0: a great name a great performance
2: yeah I think I don't know an awful lot of sex workers but mm-hmm. can't imagine they are that chatty when they've just picked up a John <laughs> on the street just narrating their entire...
0: <laughs> and now I'm going up the stairs. you going to come with me? Yeah, it's a... Uh, that's maybe... I mean, d- deliberately on the nose, clearly, and very tongue-in-cheek. But maybe... One of the only parts where I was like, "Ah, oh, it's going to go here as a slasher movie." I wasn't thinking it was going to take that turn and go really like hammy. That was the only bit, and it works for the scene, I think.
2: Yeah, it sort of it sort of lulls you into a, into a bit of a false sense of security. It you. Yeah, you you think, "Oh, this is going to be a fun film where fun things happen." That situation goes down differently if she's like, "Oh, hey, sorry, I didn't realize you were you were so burned. Um, mm. I'm not really comfortable with this. Mm. Maybe we could just snuggle." Well,
0: yeah, for sure, she could have handled it better, and that's why she was viciously murdered.
2: You look at someone who is is disfigured in, in a in a in a way that you maybe don't find too appealing, and you go, "Oh my sure. god, well, ah. Like
0: that's exactly what she does. Well done.
2: Maybe maybe just move the scissors to a different part of the room.
0: Definitely, don't have them right there. Um But also, do we think? Cropsy was actually going in there to have sex with that prostitute or do we think that was his first victim he was always going to kill her I mean did she see the murderous intent or did she freak out over the burns because he was being weird it's his
1: first
2: physical contact besides the orderly for five years presumably mm.
0: it is also the first place he goes when he gets out of hospital he goes straight to that super seedy red light area
2: where, where are you going <laughs> five years red
0: light area and then straight to the summer camp.
2: Nice. Good itinerary. He's getting it either way, isn't he? Like... I think it's
0: fucking fascinating that you think that you like this more than Friday the 13th and that it's better than Friday the 13th because I've been grappling with that in my head. And the way I... The, I don't
2: think I like it more. I on. just think it's... I think, I think it's better. You think it's better?
0: Mm. But then again, I think to myself, if I was... If I had a good-sized budget and a good cast and I just seen Friday the 13th and I got the green light to make a slasher it would probably be better than Friday the 13th. Yeah. Not to take anything away from, you know, how this movie was made and when. There are cloned scenes in this movie that I cannot believe nobody took legal action over. Cloned, shot for shot, like, phenomenal. The campfire scene. They tell the campfire story and the the Joker guy jumps out with the mask on and scares everyone, and then they all go about their business. It's exactly the same. I mean, that's happened in movies before, I know, but...
2: I. Have a real issue with the campfire scene. It's one of it's one of. Hmm. I don't know how many elephants there are in this room, but it's one of the pretty crowded. It's one of yeah. the one of the biggest issues that I have with the movie. Uh, Come on in. Why is that? I mean, okay, let's 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 get into some spoilers here because okay. because we've we've been talking for a while. Yeah, your yeah, your main guy was called Todd.
0: Todd. The I, I've got him down as lead counselor. He's not because he's under the main the the boss guy, but he's yeah, like he, the,
2: but he's the 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 counselor who is the the lead he was involved in this in, in, in the burning mm. but he just tells the story like it's a like it's a myth oh
0: is it him is it him telling the story is it yeah I guess it is yeah good point
2: and it doesn't make any sense he's like oh this guy was real mean you wouldn't want to cross him on a dark night and it's like I mean you crossed him on a dark you night him. you literally burned him you are <laughs> to death like literally
0: you are the burning that's interesting I didn't pick that up and that is tonally really jarring when put next to his reaction at the end, when he's frozen in terror at the sight of the man he burned. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That should have been chopped out completely, if you ask me. It doesn't add anything. It's it's cloning uh, a movie that I think it does it a little bit better. And uh, yeah, I didn't think it brought much. But I'm such a fuck. This is the problem, Jamie. This is why we, we, need, we need you to speak up on those things, because I just drank it in. I was like, ooh, campfire scene, spooky. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just went with it. <laughs> completely i was just looking at everyone's like in, in in raptured faces as he told the story and i just got really into it but that's a great point
2: i think what you're saying about it being cloned as well from from f13 it's like it's quite interesting because with 40 years of distance between mm-hmm. those films and having a world of other films that exist on the periphery of that mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that it's the it's the identical scene but yeah imagine if you're a cinema goer horror fanatic in, in the early 80s. Yep. You've, you've got maybe six to eight films that you can watch a year in the cinema and it's like, oh, this is the exact same shit.
0: That's almost unforgivable, I think, from like a, a paying audience point of view. Like it's fine for us with unlimited, infinite content and ways to watch it and a lot of it for free. But yeah, I think if you'd come out the previous summer and send that exact scene and you're a bit of a, you know, you're a bit of a horror junkie and you go and you see the exact scene played out again before you without even the slightest creative twist on it, I'm just amazed no one got sued.
2: The creative twist is that it doesn't make sense in the in the in the narrative of the movie. Good point. <laughs>
0: yeah. The creative twist is it's done really badly. <laughs> <laughs> it's all wrong. Yeah, I think that's pretty great. I mean, there's some there's some awesome dialogue in this movie. One of the things that I really love about it is the dialogue. I think so much of it works. There's no well, I say there's no. There there might be, but I, I, I don't see any horrible, clunky slasher dialogue or anything that's really, you know, super cheesy or tired or played out. And from the very beginning, I think the dialogue's great. The opening scene where the guys are playing the prank, one of, one of the guys says, tonight's the night, he's gonna get what he deserves. And it just sets the scene really nicely. And you don't think that's cheesy slasher dialogue? Well, this is the thing, the way it's set, the way I just said it makes it sound like complete dog shit, but the way they do it in the movie, <laughs> it actually kind of works.
2: I think that's the, that's the difference between the actors that Sean Cunningham and co. cast for Friday the 13th and the actors that they cast here. Yeah. For no good reason at all, this movie has a bunch of prestige behind it. And it might be the fact that the performances in this movie are good, the fact that they found good performances mm-hmm. for a movie called The Burning that came out in one, which is basically a retread of Friday the 13th, yeah, just really speaks volumes to why this is maybe something that we're talking about. I
0: agree. And I think, I mean, the fact that it's, you know, Jason Alexander... Fisher Stevens and maybe a couple of others movie debuts makes it all the more surprising that they're such rounded performers like they absolutely nail it down I don't know how much Brian Becker had done before this I know he did some stuff as a kid but he's just he is this fucking guy he just is yeah what is he Alfred he just is that guy
2: yeah even a half-formed Holly Hunter or a half-formed Jason Alexander or a half-formed brian backer but they're still those people they still they still have that in them so like a slightly shitter version of something that's great is still pretty good for sure whereas like a lot of the other slashers that were made around this time were i mean this this had a bit of budget behind it it was a low budget slasher in in terms of the the grand scheme of like the hollywood machine but it but it had had a decent amount of money behind it i think yeah um things are pretty pressed behind the scenes so you see that in some of the special effects yeah but there's some big, good horror names also associated with this. You've got Tom Savini yeah. doing some of some of my favourite of his his makeup work or his effects work, but also some of my least favourite at the same time. Is
0: Savini in the room with you? Blink twice if you're under duress right now. <laughs> I know he's not your favourite dude, but I mean, in terms of the visual effects, I think there's a lot of stuff done really well. One of my favourite facts about the production of the movie is that there was no costume department all of the actors wore their own clothes
2: well I mean I read that on, on IMDB when I was looking recently yeah but in the final credits it says clothing supplied by the Gap wow that's interesting so maybe I mean maybe there was no costume designer but maybe that they someone somewhere was like he'd wear that which is basically what a costume that's designer a costume does design no, not, to, <laughs> no, not that I know fucking anything I literally have very limited experience of, of being in movies <laughs>
0: Specifically in clothing design. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but maybe they had the, the the trust in the actors to say, what would your character wear?
0: Yeah, they probably had a gap in, like, you know, it says in the credits, doesn't it? Western New York, very ambiguous. Like, maybe they just had yeah. 60 bucks each and they all <laughs> got to go to Gap. If that's the case, uh, I think the award uh, for best costume has to go to either. Woodstock or Jason Alexander for that big thick fluffy white sweater completely inappropriate clothing for a campfire like this <laughs> big like gatefold. The whole movie has a really cold feeling to it, don't you think? Yeah. Summer camp my ass is fucking cold as balls in this
2: place. Have you have you ever been to a summer camp?
0: Yeah. Well, kind of, not like the American style where you're away for a whole summer, but definitely went camping a lot as a younger guy and as a kid and well as an adult as well but you know in the context of this movie definitely like camping out as a kid yeah
2: yeah i went mean, camping a few times and we had like a like a day thing that you would go to in summer holidays when i was a kid but it was like you just go for the day yeah but you go every day mm-hmm. but it was for the day but you'd come home at night i love you too i mean the
0: idea of an, a quite smacked around for, your parents but. <laughs> exactly and then you'd go to camp and get smacked around by the counselors and they'd <laughs> yeah. let you drown while or, they fucked in a bush
2: get, get bullied and Someone slam your hand in the in the in the big door and then you have to get your nail up, you say Oh my god. These are just universal experiences, Sam, that everybody has.
0: Everyone's been there. The idea I think I'm drawn to these summer camp movies because to me, and maybe to a lot of English people, I don't know, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but this demented idea that these kids go away and are entrusted into the care of a bunch of fuckwit, horny, yeah. drug addict teenagers for a whole summer blows my mind can you imagine being in a bunkhouse with a bunch of psycho kids yeah for the best fucking part of the year like it scares the shit out of me in principle let alone like as a movie premise
2: i think i went to something that was that was summer camp adjacent when i was a kid i'm just thinking like it went away with like with like cubs
0: yeah i did a scouts thing before i got kicked out i did a um we used to it was wild camping essentially we didn't do campsites it was sketchy as fuck but yeah we did a bunch of that
2: yeah we had like bunk rooms and stuff and there was like there was like a, a guide so maybe it wasn't even maybe it was a school thing hmm. yeah it, it must have been a school thing because alex finley and we like to say people's names on the internet it's
0: gonna be really fun to blank it out
2: alex <laughs> finley who dropped off the face of the earth as soon as he left my high school um he I hope he hasn't committed suicide um he was sat next to me and we were playing roadkill bingo which isn't a thing in the UK because there's not that much roadkill but we thought it was funny at the time right Um, but he was from my school and he wasn't in my clubs or my scouts or anything so it must have been a school thing but there was like other schools and so there was girls that didn't know how much of a fucking loser you were it was great that's a big opportunity
0: yeah how did you blow it tell us the story of how you blew it I I
2: (laughs) capitalised on it for a short period of time and then ultimately my personality
1: persevered
0: it's the thing, the personality always comes out, as we find with Brian Backer's character Alfred, in the movie The Burning, in which early on in the movie, he takes it upon himself to uh watch a girl shower in one of the most awkward movie shower scenes I've ever seen. Did you notice anything about this shower scene that made it fuck? It enlighten me, Sam. It's a very long shower scene to begin with. It's I th- my take on it is that it's meant to be leery you're supposed to feel a bit uncomfortable because it pans in on sally's face while she gets into this like sketchy outdoor you can see the sky type shower she's showering you see the whole process of her washing her hair you're already in there for an uncomfortable amount of time really close and then it does this thing where it pans slowly down and backwards slowly revealing her naked body and then it stops for a huge amount of time on her breasts uh, and then it pans slowly forwards again and up to her face, which just feels, as a camera movement, really fucking invasive and creepy. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like, if you put like, boom, over the top of it, it would be porny. But you've just got the creepy sound of the water and creaking trees and the knowledge that someone's watching. So it's really fucking effectively creepy yeah did you feel that or was it just a tit
2: uh, i mean it definitely wasn't a tit i think your i mean it definitely was a tit shot but it definitely wasn't just a tit shot i think right. your description of it there was 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 much more arousing to me than watching the film but yeah no i think <laughs> i think you're right I, I i don't know if i actually quantified that or or recognized that the, that that's what the film was maybe trying to achieve in that moment
0: it felt almost like dizzying like the moving in uh, the moving forward and backward it felt overtly sexual it felt like slow leering it was creepy as balls and then obviously you find out it, it does the the build up you think it's maybe Cropsy's gonna get her in the shower and it's not it's Brian Backer creeping on her and he is you know summarily roughed up and taken out by some of the boys and shouted at by the girls and given a bit of a dressing down but then ultimately completely forgiven and pumped back into the camp. Like nothing
2: happened. What they're gonna do, just like <laughs> drown him. Like there's not an awful lot. Well, they threaten
0: to they threaten to send him home and they don't do it.
2: it's because he has that, but, that touching moment with uh with Todd, who who was also a bit of a, a bit of a nerd back in the day or something.
0: And I think that was really important to see Todd take pity on someone completely pitiful who you immediately don't like for being such a pervy weird guy. So there's an immediate bond there, and I think that slightly complicated relationship is exactly what I was talking about earlier, where it's like, fuck, who do I side with here? This guy's condoning him perving on one of his, like, colleagues, I guess, in the shower. Uh, the girl's really upset. Um, Todd's girlfriend, uh, Michelle, who we haven't talked about yet, I think is fucking amazing in this film. She's my probably my favourite performance in terms of, like, her, her consistency from start to finish. But she's furious. She wants him out. So who do you side with? Like, the, the pervy Mark Ratner? Or the, uh, you know, the pretty level-headed, even-keel, reliable Todd. It's a really tricky one really early on. It puts you in a place where you feel like you've got to pick a side, and I really like that. Pick a side among the quote-unquote good guys as well.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things that this film does uh, here is that it recognises that watching someone in the shower is, is a bad thing.
0: Yeah, which-, which I was pleasantly surprised by, to be honest. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Porky's, like... Because when they're, when they're pranking the guy at the start, there's a Porky's vibe. Yeah, You know, it's almost like... It felt quite playful and fun-loving, and then obviously it gets rapidly out of hand, and you have this awesome burning scene. But immediately, I was like, tonally, is this going to be like excusing a lot of sex pest behavior from start to finish? And it doesn't. I don't think at any point it does, which was really refreshing given the stuff.
2: Yeah, apart from the apart from the film itself being generally quite perky. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think the- and probably a vehicle for abusing lots of people, knowing uh, Harvey yeah.
2: Weinstein. Obviously, you mentioned Harvey Weinstein there. What do you think about the life of this film and the and the, the legacy of, of The Burning?
0: Well, as far as I can tell, I actually... I mean, I'll go on record as saying I, I think I love this film. Yeah. I really, really, really like it a lot. And I, the fact that I'm watching it at age 37, having had no previous... I didn't watch it when I was 15 and then, you know, grow up with it or whatever. I watched it for the first time as an adult. And I found essentially nothing I didn't really enjoy about the movie. So it, it holds up for me as a viewer uh, at this point in time. I think in terms of... uh, I mean, we have to watch these movies through a certain lens, knowing what we know about Harvey Weinstein and about Hollywood in general, you know, the machine. But in the the sense that it it doesn't feel dated to me, it doesn't feel hammy. It had a real chance of, of leaning too much into a hammy kind of thing. There's a few references in there that I think unless you watch a lot of movies you might miss like jason alexander does a, a curly you know does a three stooges certainly at one point yeah and i think like that kind of stuff never ages well at all but if you're in any way familiar with that kind of thing it just kind of you know goes by i think there's nothing here that leaps out at me as being uh like poorly done for the time um there's a moment when when cropsy is on fire the the titular burning if you will and it to me, on my big OLED TV, it looks like a guy in a beekeeping outfit on a bit of fire yeah. who then falls into some water. But I watched a couple of clips on YouTube of like proper grainy old VHS and it looks fucking spectacular. You can't see the shape of his fire suit or anything like that. So it totally holds up in that sense. In terms of the performances, I think they've aged really, really well. There's some lines that are a bit sketchy and there's a couple of moments that, you know, maybe you would have to kind of cringe at now. Uh, but overall, I think it's aged really well. I think it's pretty fucking durable. I mean, what about you?
2: I mean, I completely agree. I think it's there's a reason that this is. I mean, it's it's considered a classic by by a lot of people, but it's also considered to be like an underappreciated classic by maybe maybe the the, the mainstream of, of of horror fandom. There's very little wrong with it, and what and what is wrong with it is completely forgivable. Yeah. Apart from the Weinstein connection. Yeah. Which which you know is is a real is a real rough go that's a big one yeah and like there's there's accusations that he was that he that he that on his first film that this the burning he was he was already sketchy
0: yeah I mean it doesn't surprise me and it sucks to praise something that obviously came from somebody so shitty but I try I tried, you know this might be a character flaw but I tried not to let that bum me out as a first time viewer otherwise you know what the fuck would you watch ever what would you <laughs> what would you do and it's one of those things I don't have a lot of experience with that particular dynamic because I'm not like I'm not a fucking Michael Jackson fan. Do you know what I mean? I've never had to have that rug whipped out from under me as a as a fan of something, really. Like, I I don't like David Bowie. I don't like any of these people who turned out to be, you know, pretty horrific in a lot of ways, so...
2: You were a massive Lost Profits fan. Though, weren't you?
0: <laughs> I can't even pretend. So, yeah, it, it definitely... I don't like feeling like I'm endorsing the work of a fucking sex criminal. Do you know what I mean? But that being said, I really fucking like this story and that guy came up with this story. So for better or for worse, we have a movie that came from the mind of a pretty demented sex criminal and it kind of shows.
2: <laughs> I want to, I, I want to interrupt you there a little bit because I think the idea that the story came from, from his mind, like he didn't write it. He's credited as a as, as story. Yeah. And the story is, there's a there's a summer camp and some people are there and they get killed.
0: If that's if that's the loosey goosey, if that was if that's what he said, he walked into the fucking pitch room was like, "There's a summer camp and some kids get killed." And then he got the budget. I don't know why he's Richard Nixon. He is in my head. I've never heard him speak, so to me, he's Richard Nixon. Then yeah, absolutely.
1: I am not a sex criminal.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, he is. <laughs> he is. he definitely said he wasn't. He fucking is. Will oh, you give it up, man? Go when he's out there. We're alone! Oh no, there's somebody out there picking up all this (laughs) crosstalk. The two things that I wanted to talk about in terms of durability, Rick Wakeman's soundtrack. Amazing. I really fucking like it. I think it's way more durable now that we've had a lot more uh, medieval influence synth in popular culture. I think that's made it easier for a lot of people to swallow. There's, uh, There's really nothing that I don't like about this score.
2: What is it about prog bands Mm. and and their members that make really good horror scores. Like, what's the correlation, do you think, between, okay, I am a a massive synth nerd, and also I like watching people with their boobs out get stabbed in the face.
0: (laughs) I think there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) I think uh, part of it has to be, to a certain extent, in some cases, budgetary. I think uh, these guys are cheap at this, at this time. They're obviously good musicians, but they're not pop musicians. So there's there's the fact that they're affordable. Rick Wakeman may or may not be a massive horror fan. I honestly don't actually know. But I mean, if you look at
2: him, you would go, probably think, you yeah, saw him on the street, he'd be the walking convention. down the street with like, crumbs all over his T-shirt, <laughs> eating a massive bag of some sort of maize snack. Yep. He'd be like, oh, that guy likes, <laughs> he likes horror. horror films. He likes the
0: burning, specifically.
2: <laughs> yeah. He likes to be... In the shower <laughs> he really
0: does yeah he's not he's not uh hiding it behind nuanced camera work he just likes being in that shower
2: although my image of rick wakeman is the sort of mid to late 90s mm. long hair beard kind of a bit older whereas here i think he was quite probably quite svelte and quite mm. quite rugged in a, in a sort of in a sort of sexy mountain man kind of way probably yeah and i think he was pretty
0: i think he thought outside the box was pretty adventurous with his composing for this because I honestly don't think it does what what most people would expect it to do it's like golden axe it sounds like the music from golden axe he's like there's these triumphant little lifts when people are doing things that suck like there's a bit where um um i keep wanting to say mark ratner sorry uh brian backer alfred is watching he's i think it's when yeah it's when he's watching glazer and sally getting it on for the first time and he's he's Got his hands against a tree spread apart and he's got one leg really far back and one leg really far forward in this weird almost like mime-like pose it's very stage and the the music is like ash at the end of army of darkness it's like a huge triumphant lift like check him out he's perving on this couple like it's it's a bizarre placement but it really fucking works because it makes you so uncomfortable and it tells you that someone's about to die so there's loads of clever little lifts there's lots of really ominous deep dark beats there's lots of really shrill buzzing synth in there at the right places the right times but you're right like bands like goblin and you know these these proggy dudes yeah uh, were probably cheap but also probably lent that way they're not people from the mainstream they're not products of you know a straight-laced musical education who had a career path in front of them they're probably all weirdos who hung out in the same bars
2: yeah no i think i think that's probably it i think nobody gets into Prague for the chicks right it's like
0: (laughs) apart from rick wakeman not being like the world's biggest rick wakeman fan if i'm totally honest like i really like a lot of his movie work but this to me was immediately arresting uh it immediately made me want to look up who did it and i think it it serves the movie front to back and it doesn't feel dated because i think we have this renewed appreciation of um synthscape sounds in movies now um which is getting tired i think in a lot of areas but this is obviously an original you know this is going way back and i think it does a great job of underscoring a lot of very uncomfortable tense moments really well
2: yeah well i think i think the thing that's becoming a bit a bit rote now Mm. a bit tired is and it it breaks my heart but it's the john carpenter style yeah i think people recognize that like a, a man on his keyboard is really cheap, and B, it really just fucking works. So people are just absolutely aping that—that's that very specific John Carpenter style. Yeah, and it, yeah, it sort of hurts a little bit. But then, like, you got films like Drive, mm-hmm. where they where they really sort of like lent on that that sort of type of. of of weird sort of spacey synth as well so
0: a a great reinvention of a kind of classic sound in that movie i think but you're right a lot of people just rip it straight off and it kind of sucks the thing that i'm guilty of is actually kind of enjoying it as well like i you know sometimes i i obviously love and respect john carpenter and everything he's ever done but if someone's going to rip him off cheap i kind of enjoy it sometimes (laughs) it's why, why we like bands that rip off the ramones
2: um okay so let's talk let's talk about the the violence in the film how do you feel how do you feel that the, uh, the violence worked for you? For me, I
0: guess, partly, I mean, I think it's one of the weaker elements of the horror of the movie, mainly because I I don't think the violence isn't really the the culmination of a lot of the feelings in the movie that really keep me in it. So I think the violence is great in a vacuum. I think this, the visual effects are awesome. There's some really good kills. I think... Uh, Glazer's death is probably my, one of my favourite slasher deaths ever um, there's a spoilers obviously but Cropsy kills him by uh, jamming the uh, shears into his throat and picking him up and sticking him against a tree which sounds super simple and a bit Friday the 13th and very straightforward but there's this fucking amazing POV shot from Cropsy when he's got the shears in there of the, like a tracking shot of him going towards the tree that is yeah. fucking visionary it's great and a great performance from Glazer as he dies. It's a superb death, um, and it feels hyper-violent. Fisher Stevens getting his fingers cut off with the shears—it uh, it seems to be pretty iconic. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me a bit more about that. But people seem to love that scene in particular.
2: Yeah, no, I think I think that's pretty iconic. I think one of the things about the violence that really works for me, but then also is 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 a bit of a challenge and a bit of a hurdle to get over is the fact that mm. basically all the murders are all committed with the same weapon. True. Which which is not something. You see an awful lot of mm. because even in your Friday the Thirteenth, some say there's a, there's a there's a big machete, but it's also there's a, a
0: huge f- range of weapons. Yeah, maybe it's a yeah. more of a Michael Myers type
2: nod. Yeah, maybe. I mean, even Michael Myers, I think there's this there's, there's some.
0: Oh, he mixed it up later on. Yeah, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I guess that's that's the problem with looking at things from mm. from four years of, of of history is that it all sort of merges into one.
0: I think the the thing about the weapon being shears. Is that it? Obviously, plays in heavily with that. The most iconic moment in the movie is Cropsy standing up out of the canoe with the shears above his head yeah. pointing downwards, which I think looks incredible. That's such a an arresting image. Uh, other weapons yeah, definitely. probably wouldn't work like that. But you're right. I think he doesn't mix it up much. He kills someone with he kills the hooker with the scissors, um, and he is not killed by shears. But yeah, I think you're right. That is an interesting uh, choice to have him. And and there's no real explanation for the shears, right?
2: I mean, I, he he's a caretaker at a summer camp, yeah. so presumably he used shears in his day to day. But that's not established, really, is it? I don't think.
0: But I mean, speaking of violence and him being a caretaker, his shack where he lives is full of gasoline.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a health and safety nightmare. It's an Sam. absurd
0: amount of gasoline and kerosene and kerosene lamps and combustibles, and all kinds of cleaning fluids and shit, and that's obviously why he catches fire. But the opening shot when the guy is sneaking into his shack, every shelf behind him is just red gasoline cans. It's incredible.
2: I mean, it's... I don't know if that's meant to be a joke. Yeah. it's Maybe it's like a little joke for people that are paying, like, super attention, but it's like...
0: Yeah, I think it might be.
2: Do you know, like, when you do your, like, health and safety training at work, and you have to, like, look at a thing and point out all the hazards, it's basically one of those (laughs) just, like...
0: But that, in terms of the violence, my two favourite violent bits in the movie are the two things that happened to Cropsy. ultimately. His first burning, uh, I don't know who the actor is, I, I haven't got his name to hand, but his his like facial performance while he's burning is phenomenal. He looks so genuinely terrified. Yeah, it's really good. Probably because he was really on fire. <laughs> and obviously... Well, so
2: one of my favourite things about films in the 80s, sorry to cut you off, uh, is that they all involve someone being on fire. Yeah. I think they 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 just perfected like the putting someone in a suit and covering them in fire technology. Yeah. So they were like, let's just put this in every movie.
0: we got to make a movie based on this.
2: Yeah, it's just like, oh, someone's going to run through a window and they're going to be on fire and we're going to do that in every film for uh, maybe six to seven years until someone's like, hey, maybe we should put someone not on fire for a minute.
0: <laughs> maybe just extinguish one guy. Yeah. But they really they really do it well in this, I think. And... One of the funniest things i i saw in terms of like anecdotal shit from tom savini about this movie was that when they did that initial scene the plan was very straightforward they were going to set the the, the uh, stunt guy on fire and um send him out through the door and, and do the scene but they actually tom savini had the, the he was lighting him with a lamp not even with like a... I don't know. I assume they'd have something for that on a movie set. Do you know what I mean? Like a, a special kind of long match or something. But no, he just has a fucking lamp. And they'd put rubber cement all over the inside of the place so it would catch fire properly. And he slipped on a piece of rubber cement and set the guy on fire while falling and set the cabin on fire at the same time. And someone had to like drag him out the back so they could get the shot of the guy coming through the door. So the whole thing was a total clusterfuck. And he looks at the camera and he says, never trust Savini, <laughs> which I think is a pretty good way to look at it but yeah it, that that scene in particular in cropsy's death my two favorite uh violent moments in the movie i think
2: again i really like um the the entire hat uh hatch what's the word uh raft yeah different part of lost that I'm thinking about that <laughs> yeah but yeah the the entire raft scene is just carnage for mm. several minutes and it, it goes on too long in a way that is great yeah it's just like, oh my god, people are still dying. And then the, the moment where they're where they uh, the the raft sort of drifts back to the the, the bank where the people are. I just say, oh, it's great. I it's that. chilling.
0: It's really yeah. fucking chilling. You know, it's full of dead bodies, and they're like, hey, here they come. Like it's 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 really well done, and I love the callback when they're first paddling out to that canoe. It takes forever. Yeah, it's so agonizing how long it takes them to get to that fucking canoe, and then everyone dies. And the callback when she's, when, uh, sorry, when, uh, what's her name? Michelle is paddling out to the raft is exactly the same. That tension of like paddling out there forever. And, you know, um, Jason Alexander's making jokes in the background and you know either she's going to die or she's going to find all her friends butchered on a raft drifting in the middle of this misty river. It's great. Yeah, I
2: think the thing with the, the canoe that really works is that you don't know. If is going to be in there, or if it's going to be the corpse of whoever died before—is it—is it Karen or whoever?
0: Yeah, yeah, Karen's still missing at this point. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so it's like, oh, they're going to find Karen's body and then be mm. be sort of marooned in this sort of terror boat yeah. with with a, with a corpse. But no, it's Cropsey and he fucks shit up. It's great.
0: Yeah, it's re- And the first thing she does is grab that severed arm. I think it's Fisher Stevens' severed arm, and then his face drifts by. So yeah, great. In terms of, like, visual violence, that's awesome. There's nothing I don't like in terms of the violence in the movie. It just wasn't my favourite part of the movie, which I think speaks to, you know, why I love it so much because I'm not the the world's biggest, like, super hyper-violent movie fan. I like a little bit more going on than that. So there was so much it did better, but I still really fucking enjoyed watching these guys get chopped to shit.
2: Do you think one of the reasons that The Burning really works is that it's kind of based on an existing piece of social myth?
0: yeah potentially i was definitely thinking that while i was watching it in that, you know we 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 have certain expectations with things that are mythic don't we 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 expect a certain trajectory but i also love how it plays with that a bit because there's no real like hero's journey type thing here there's like pervy kids who end up being kind of heroes and there's you know a redemption arc sort of for a guy who still kind of sucks um there's Not an enormous amount in terms of character development, unfortunately, for some of the female characters that aren't as well written and aren't given as much screen time, except I would say for the fact that Michelle is one of the most likable, strong female characters in all of slasherdom, I think, for me. Um, And she's not, she doesn't end up being reduced to like final girl status or anything like that. So I think they do enough with the myth to feed you, but they don't you know they don't overfeed you, they don't fatten you up for Christmas with it. It just works. It's quite subtly done. Again, I think that's quite masterful writing, as much as I hate to say it. I think that's a really well written set of characters doing really fucking genuine performances.
2: Um, I also think so you you touched on that with the with the final Michelle doesn't end up as a final girl. Mm. I mean this is this is sort of before those tropes were really established. Sure. But but it completely like books all of the existing trend because obviously bunch of the slashers were already out there at this point a bunch yeah. of those those really big slashers that really that changed the the, the way that people experienced this these kinds of horror films and this this just books that trend so mm. it sort of sits as a bit of an island in the middle of like slasher horror films where bef- before before things got postmodern and we were like oh let's let's subvert these tropes it's not it's not subverting the tropes it just doesn't give a fuck it's like yeah it just sits in its own area i think because it came from from a different perspective in terms of the writing and the creating of it I'm, I'm very slow to say call this film art right but but there's a there's an artistic streak through it i think in in terms of being able to say this is different to what you've seen before despite the fact that it's exactly the fucking same <laughs> yeah. this is somehow different to what you've seen before and i and i really rate that i think it's beautiful as well i think it's shot really well i mean the editing is dog dicks but the um there's that one scene it really annoys me it's quite near the beginning and it's uh one of the characters one of the female characters just sort of talking and then it fades to black and it's like oh i guess we got all the information that we need from her in that <laughs> scene so see you later
0: i hate the bit at the end where they finally discover um what was her name you said her name a minute ago the girl that uh, is murdered after she goes off with Eddie and they they spend loads of time looking for her I can't remember her name was it Karen was she anyway she Karen that's it yeah so the big reveal for her is when when they're in like the mine at the end and Todd uh, like turns around and there's that weird grainy still of her dead face that pops up for like two seconds and then goes away (laughs) it looks total (laughs) fucking garbage but you forgive that stuff because it's in the middle of one of the most tense weird final boss fights ever like it's it's so well done in that sense and I think I I agree like I there's the bits that I loved in terms of the cinematography are pretty much ripped directly from Friday the 13th I think but there is a slickness to the filmmaking here probably budgetary as well that just does it a little bit better and, and more cleanly which I really like in this context normally I would kind of be saying the opposite but there's something about it that just really works and I think a lot of it again is these shots are backed up by such amazing performances that you love seeing it through their eyes Um, I don't really give a fuck about anyone in Friday the 13th apart from Pamela Voorhees I just genuinely don't connect with anyone and I don't give a shit about their POV shots or anything because the characters kind of suck whereas in this I'm like I want to see the world through your eyes so when we're panning in on that green empty canoe i'm seeing it through woodstock's eyes and i'm like oh fuck buddy you're in trouble like and i love that i think that really works
2: yeah i think um the slickness here i think it does really work because it's not it's not jaws no. although one of the things that i think really really helps this film um is that you see so little of of cropsy throughout the film mm-hmm. and i mean that's again maybe it's similar to jaws that they had to do it because the makeup was so shitty. (laughs) but like which you know i I, from 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 what i read tom Sabini didn't have an awful lot of time to create that create that makeup but you know it's fine
0: i did find it scary
2: yeah in a shitter movie you'd be like that's exactly what i expected yeah but you know in this it's it's whatever but it's it's it, you're right it is pretty scary but it's just a bit like oh yeah he does have candle a fucked band. up
0: face yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah it looks like uh, I, I think ultimately it looks like a like a gammon you know like a gammon that gets left in the garden after a party and gets kicked around on the floor like it looks a bit like
2: I feel like you've not been inviting me to enough parties <laughs> enough gammon gammon in the garden parties
0: yeah it's a Suffolk thing we do gammon football at midnight <laughs> in a dust pile um but i find it you know i have a a slightly lower threshold for being genuinely scared by movies than you i think and i found his face scary especially when it appears in the window and um you know albert sees it in the window that scared the crap out of me because it looks like it just looks like a fucking baseball glove or like a a a wet saddle or something it looks really fucking creepy
2: yeah well i think that 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 one really works that scene really Mm. works because there's there's a there's a degree of separation as well. You've got the sure. you've got the window, you've got like the shade thing, the Chrissy Crossy mm. Chrissy Crossy guy. Yeah. Um that's what that's called officially, <laughs> I think.
0: Um Are you in interior design by any chance?
2: <laughs> don't blow my cover. <laughs> like when you see it later on when it's like full reveal, Brody's on the boat, we're mm. gonna need a bigger pair of scissors. Yep. Like thing at the end, it's like okay, you should have kept this it, been hidden for forever yeah from the, from it worked the back. for me in the light of the fact that he's
0: walking in really slowly in side profile with a flamethrower that when you when you cast the light upwards and you see his face for that brief second i was like oh jesus that's gonna be fucking so greasy when they actually show it and then yeah the final shots of it that are a bit more you know front lit yeah are maybe less effective and a bit more rubbery uh but i love the sound of the axe Hitting him in the head and i love seeing his head with an axe in it as he fucking burns at the stake in that barn I yeah it's really scary and the fact they picked three very specific angles to film him burning at the end is just ominous as fuck and it's uh yeah in terms of the you know the visual effects from that angle i think the face is is, is genuinely effective for me I, I wasn't disappointed when i saw the face um and I like that the the initial fear of the hooker at the start is totally justified, and he is a really horrifically mangled and maimed human being roaming around the woods.
2: I don't think that's justified, Sam.
0: <laughs> you're sympathising again. Oh, no, sorry, you're not sympathising. You're criticising her uh, professionalism.
2: It's, it's not that. I just think if you saw a burned <laughs> man on the street, you wouldn't be like, oh, my God. He, But, mate, he looks like...
0: You know when you peel a boiled egg badly and it all comes away with the shell? He looks like that, but pink. It's that bad. I mean... He looks like a chewed pork scratchy,
2: but pink. Yeah, I right, am. Right. Fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck Cropsy.
0: <laughs> I mean, is there an angle here to say that if she'd been sensitive at the beginning and just given him a good time, maybe he wouldn't have actually killed anyone and he was genuinely just looking for love?
2: Potentially. He might have just spent 90 minutes in the afterglow and then credits great movie <laughs> yeah just like slowly panning in on his burned face as he smokes a cigarette it's like
0: a short version of the elephant man
2: nailed it does this film do what it's set out to do and what did it set out to do
0: the, the second part of that question is the hardest thing for me because contextually I think it was a cash in I think they wanted to make money I think they had access to some really great early career actors that you know were willing to be launched uh, and were, were actually being paid quite well by all, by all accounts Um, So I think it was a moneymaker and a bit of a cash-in, but I think anytime you're making a horror movie, whether it's for a cash-in or not, you want to make a scary movie that unnerves people. And this touches on a lot of, um, in terms of the filmmaking, I think it draws influence from places that you wouldn't expect from a cash-in. You know, the, the whole hooker scene at the beginning that we keep revisiting feels very hammer horror. It feels really dirty. It feels video nasty in a way to me, in terms of like the weird production value and the weird lighting.
2: The, the film that it really reminds me of, which I think maybe a little bit after this, is Basket Case. I don't know if you've ever seen Basket Case.
0: Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. It makes me feel sick in the exact same way.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think all the stuff where it's like, what's his name, Belial, before you see his little weird penis, mm. like all that stuff where he's like stalking people, I think that's that that probably owes quite a lot to The Burning, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think a movie that's trying to achieve that kind of horror which is essentially slasher horror. There's nothing, like, paranormal or, you know... It's a psychological horror in a way. It's obviously pulling shitloads from Hitchcock, but it's pulling it through other slasher movies, I think. We're talking about POV shots here where there's just Vaseline around the edge of the lens. Do you know what I mean? That's about as low budget as you can possibly get. Yeah. So it sets out to be trashy in a lot of areas. I do think they're trying to add some flair with things like The Score that's amazing with really genuine performances by young people who seem to be really getting along in real life and who are let off the leash there's there's loads of ad-lib bits that you can tell are just them having fun there's a bit where there's a bit where they're canoeing and they're all having that water fight and jason alexander uh accidentally sinks the canoe next to him do you remember this bit and he looks directly at the camera and shrugs when the canoe sinks because it's obviously a complete fuck up and <laughs> they just carry on rolling stuff like that i just love
2: yeah if i was uh if i was a uh producer or a writer who's on set or anything i i feel like i wouldn't be so presumptuous as to think that i know how young people talk sure so i i would if i had the scope within the movie making process which we've, we've discussed i genuinely genuinely don't generally don't um i would say go ahead you're 16 to 25 years old you can you you you're much closer to this than than yeah. me Although, I don't know. I don't know how old Harvey Weinstein was at this point or any of the other writers or directors. Or members of
0: the cast either, for that matter. <laughs> We've really yeah. done well, our that's research. that's
2: why it's a, six, a 16 to 25. <laughs> like, they could be anything. It could be. But
0: you're, you're right. And I think they do that some of the time. Um, and I, I think the dialogue is something that really endeared me to this movie. Some of the lines that come out are are absolutely brilliant. Like I said, like, one of my favourite lines is, when was the last time you won a personality contest, Glazer? I think that's great. The way they put Glazer down from start to finish is brilliant.
2: Yeah, and the fact that he's he's ostensibly the bully. Yeah, but like he's not violent with it. He's a bit threatening sometimes. He's all bravado. He he doesn't
0: actually hurt anyone, and he dies after prematurely ejaculating. Yeah, in the woods. Like it's a pretty a a pretty uh, steep downhill for that guy, and a pretty shallow shallow story. But.
2: Do you think it's because um, Jason Alexander got the wrong condoms?
0: Exactly. He didn't have the uh, lubricated condoms that he specifically asked for.
2: Yeah. So the friction was was too much, which made him ejaculate early.
0: Exactly. And that's why he
2: died. We call those Chekhov's condoms. Chekhov's. It's established early on, comes back in the climax, (laughs) literally.
0: And is pivotal in someone's downfall. Exactly. That's perfect. Um, (laughs) I love that. I think jason alexander when he's he's trying to convince um albert to swim and albert can't swim and he says he just looks at him and he says drown and then jumps in the lake i think that's amazing he just looks at him and says drown <laughs> there's so many good lines i think the dialogue is fantastic and it adds to i mean, it's immediate chemistry for me for the from the beginning the the whole from the very second you see them playing sports ball whatever it is softball or baseball at the beginning yeah right the way through to when they're falling apart sobbing because everyone's dead. Totally, totally fucking believable. If they're setting out to make, like, a realistic teen slasher, which I don't know if they were, if they are, I buy it from start to finish.
2: Yeah, I think maybe some of the performances on that sort of hyper-naturalistic side. So it's like... There's, like, an extra level of natural beyond the normal natural, which makes it feel a little bit unnatural, but you forgive it because you know you're watching a movie.
0: Yeah, because they're young and hyped. It feels... I think some of these characters are huge fucking personalities all put in this pot together... But that's another thing, nobody really feels like they're stealing the show throughout this whole movie. There's no real central character here because you don't spend a lot of time with Cropsy and you don't get under the skin or into the backstory of any of these characters. I don't think you even find out really that Michelle and Todd are a couple until halfway through the movie. Yeah. So you don't you're not invested in many relationships, you're not really pulled one way or the other. And normally that's a death knell for me in terms of a horror movie. Normally that's the first thing I hate is that I don't give a shit about anyone in this movie. But that is a massive strength in this because everyone is given enough room to perform and be a really unique character without, you know, stumbling into some horrific trope. And and they all just live it. They all seem to really live the movies.
2: Yeah, I think like I mean, I mentioned at the beginning that I think we maybe have too much of the of the the them interacting. Mm. But But I think you might have talked around on it. I think maybe that you're right about well, how it's, the, it's a the, the level preference. of that interaction yeah
0: I love it I I love every minute that we're with these characters because the dialogue is so whipcrack tight and realistic and the the sense of fun is what does it for me they have so much fun together that looks real that when they yeah. start dying I'm really bummed uh I I really feel like fuck he's like that guy's best buddy on this whole camping trip or he looks after him what are they are going to do without him I really feel the loss of each character
2: which is is pretty huge any any sort of major major negatives that you want to pull out I've got a scene what's the scene that you hate oh, the, the fucking fake out baseball oh I'm looking for my baseball in the woods is oh you did like that something scary is going to happen oh no I found my baseball it's fine like, I just fucking hate that shit
0: it, yeah definitely a sucky nothingy moment for sure there's a million ways they could have told us that Cropsy was in the woods without doing that um, it's just
2: there's loads of reasons why I hate it It's mm. he's in the wrong camp like, what, he, did he have a canoe? Like, what the fuck's he doing? How did he get there? Did he walk all the way back round to the other camp? Like, through the woods, they couldn't walk They couldn't walk home when the news were all there free. Like, do you know what I mean? Doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, if I don't like anything, it's it's not that I don't like it, it's more that I am unsure of it. So the whole chase scene where Brian Backer is uh, running through this, like, bouldered woodland landscape, I love that there's so many shots of him doing weird shit, like... Pressing his back against the boulder with his arms spread and wide-eyed, looking around, because that's yeah. when it feels like an arty horror film to me. That's when it's got a touch of something turish and I I love seeing that. It just feels a little bit misplaced because it slows down the tension. But what I realized on the second watch is that that's Cropsy playing with him. I didn't realize. I thought it was just a crap chase. You know when you get like a lumbering killer that's always fucking twenty feet behind there's a couple of subtle shots where you see Cropsy's feet on the boulders and stuff that's really subtle and it it totally rounds out the whole uh, sequence for me which is a really long sequence that whole ending starts with him seeing Glazer killed and then running away. Yeah. And I love that how much of his cowardice is on show there and it builds up to his final redemption of killing, essentially not killing, but, you know, stabbing Cropsy. So the only thing that I struggled with was that chase scene because maybe I got a bit bored of it on first watch, but second watch I realised there's so much nuance in there, there's so much going on I missed the first time around. I actually really fucking like that. It's one of my favourite parts of the movie. If I don't like anything, it's the the slight cop-out aspect of not really... Fully feeling the evil of Cropsy as a as a as an entity, you know he's just a dick janitor who is horrifically burned. I feel really bad for him at the beginning because sure he sucks and he fucks with kids uh, and like doesn't give their ball back or whatever. But his burning is horrific. He really fucking goes through agony, and then he does come back a psycho. But I don't feel like he's I like I like Jason's backstory. Do You know what I mean? I like a bit more.
2: Yeah, well I think. All of those petrol cans or whatever he had in his in his little shack, yeah. if those were vodka bottles or whiskey bottles or something, then mm-hmm. you you add a bit of depth to that character. Yeah, for sure. But otherwise he's just a guy that what likes to petrol loads of lawnmowers or whatever, whatever he's yeah. using so that for. He just likes to keep a big supply of combustibles. So like but yeah, like the the story that again of the campfire scene, which is nonsense. Yeah. I think you're right. Take that whole scene out because then mm. the, the campfire scene at the end, the sort of bookends the film yep. makes more sense because it becomes oh, the, uh, like the, the story of the film becomes the campfire story rather than... It's different people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that is for me. Uh, and again, this is me being, uh, you know, kind of a wuss about uh, horror movies. That was the scariest fucking moment in the whole movie for me is when that guy makes direct contact with you straight through the screen and does that final refrain. You're dead. Like He says it with so much malice and it's really fucking a stark attack at the end of the movie that goes straight into credits. I loved how that worked. And you're right. It, it doesn't have to be a callback to an earlier campfire scene. Just do that in isolation and really shit people up.
2: I think because the Cropsey urban legend is an existing urban legend in that area, it, it makes yep. sense for the film to be the thing that is that becomes the narrative of the urban legend in yeah. the ongoing universe of the film, which obviously ends You're Dead. But, like... Yeah, agreed. I think that makes more sense than having one of the people who literally burnt Cropsey telling a story as if this man is a nebulous figure <laughs> from space. Like
0: Todd, Todd I kind of grappled with a little bit. He reminds me of... Uh... I'm going to forget the guy's name but in um, Friday the 13th part 4 the guy that's out hunting Jason he's the guy that gets killed and says he's killing me he's killing me that guy
2: Todd reminds me of the Bundy's neighbour in uh, Married with Children whatever that fucking guy's name is
0: does a bit yeah you're right he's that he's got that look about him that's fairly forgettable but he is obviously like a good looking guy Yeah. I actually think I was unfair on him he does put in a good performance there's a bit where he's sitting by the water throwing stones into the river and he says um I just feel real uneasy and for some reason it's just a really well delivered line and I really like him for it but he doesn't he doesn't do as well as some of the other really strong characters I don't think he is a bit of a uh, a train in the movie like he just chugs on and keeps everything moving which I really like but I think maybe a little bit more from him would have been good if I'm re- if I'm being if I'm picking nits massively here it's that his performance doesn't do everything I want it to personally Yeah. but he's still great with Michelle I think their chemistry is awesome even when they're tickling in the woods do you know what I mean that would be another thing where I'd be like fucking why is this in this film yeah. but they make it really real they're tickling you don't see them bang which I think is nice she just says I've got a better idea and they go off screen so I, I I like that. I think uh, yeah, there's there's so little that I don't like about this movie. Um, the the raft scene for me I know is is a massive deal and it's really iconic and it is a frenzied kill scene. I I really like the build up to it a lot more than the actual kills.
2: I think it really works because because this is a this is a slasher film that, that came sort of hot on the heels or or like sandwiched between Friday the Thirteenth films, which are. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of gold standard in this sort of sleazy, violent like sub stream of of slasher films. The yeah. sort of I think the kills, the violence uh, is is relatively sort of playful and, and subdued in a lot of places. The stuff with the mm. with the character named Hooker at the beginning, uh, you see the you see the scissors go into her belly, and then you see some blood splatter across the mirror. But that's all you see. Yeah. Uh, and when um Karen or whoever dies at the beginning like yeah. um pretty mellow and then all of a sudden like you're you're thrown into this super heavily violent like kill rampage just in the middle yeah it's it feels so so alien to the to the way the film works it's like so out of nowhere obviously it's yeah. not completely out of nowhere it's a horror film with a killer in it but like it's just you're you're expecting a fairly sort of like cutaway style of 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 kill and then all of a sudden you're just in this melee of of organs and and body parts just flying around and floating down a river it's it's i think it just really works i know you mean like i think the uh the 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 way that it just it really drags they really draw out that that sort of going to the the canoe moment i think uh, yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of tension there
0: those kills are so well paced for me because earlier on when karen dies you get this super creepy move of cropsy taking her clothes from the side of the lake where she's gone skinny dipping and making a trail of them out into the woods yeah so she has to wander around naked really exposed really vulnerable really cold after being like after having to fend off this dick eddie guy who's just trying to get on her and she she ends up in the woods partially clothed attacked and killed and that's a super creepy sinister build yeah and then like you say it all builds up to that fucking orgy of violence on the raft which is great and where the fuck he gets a flamethrower <laughs> is maybe
2: again like I, I think this is stuff that is vaguely linked to being a groundskeeper or a or a yeah, caretaker yeah, like right yeah
0: my dad who is a groundskeeper does have a flamethrower there you so go that makes sense that tracks yeah
2: i mean that i'm, I'm picturing there's a specific shot of groundskeeper willie with his shirt off and a flamethrower in an episode of the simpsons i don't have an awful lot lot of experience with groundskeepers so that's my uh...
0: (laughs) well speaking from experience uh my dad actually made his own flamethrower so it's a thing with these guys kind
2: of links in a lighter Um,
0: yeah exactly of links in a lighter it's very official it's very fucking professional kit um yeah, there's just so little that I dislike about this movie. It's it's shot and absolutely rocketed up into my top five slashes. I think.
2: Wow. Um, well, we'll see if we can. Uh, yeah. mix, we'll see if we can mix that up a little bit over the next.
0: Well, that's what I'm hoping for because you've put so many, uh, you know, slashes I've never even, never even read about, never even heard of in that list. So I think that's going to change. But yeah, you know, I love a bit of psych- uh, psychological slash supernatural horror. So a slasher with that in it is probably going to trump some of the stuff in here. But essentially this ticks all of my boxes as a slasher fan yeah I think there's so little that I would change um it all just feels like it was done for a reason they don't feel like if there's happy accidents it's good but there's no like terrible decisions and there's nothing that feels fan service-y or genre box ticking really to my naive eyes it just feels like a great fun really fucking ominous feeling slasher I really like it
2: yeah any any final thoughts before we say so long to the burning. I don't want to say so long to the
0: burning. I love it. There's a, there's one thing I made a note of that in in the final confrontation scene where Todd freezes and Cropsey is about to kill him and we have Brian Backer make this great grab for the shears and just plunge him through his back. There's this amazing and fucking really weird... Uh, you, you can tell me if you've seen this in other movies, but I've never seen it. There's this rhythmic screaming while Todd has these flashbacks of when he first burned Cropsey and... And Brian Backer is screaming. He's doing this, like, percussive, like, ah, 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 over and over, because he's in so much pain. And it's timed in with the flashbacks, and it's also timed in with Cropsy's movements and the way that the cuts are happening. It's really fucking rhythmic, and then it builds up to the the final stab. I hadn't really seen that done in that way before. No, I don't think I have either. that low, humming... You, you expect, like, really climactic music, and there's just this, like, throbbing synth in the background that's really fucking creepy. Yeah. And that whole scene just worked so well for me. You don't want to blink because it's so tightly cut. In terms of the editing, I think that's one scene that they do really well. They're getting a flashback in there with a current scene of Jeopardy with a final fight. Like, it's, it works really well. And I just thought that was, um, you know, really tight filmmaking, really deliberately, uh, probably really deliberately storyboarded like concept for that whole end scene. Yeah. And the music just made it completely. I thought it was fucking great.
2: I was quite shocked when I found out the director of the burning wasn't some actual prestige director that had a shoddy start in 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 making horror. Sort of like James Cameron's first film was the sequel to Piranha, and and you can sort of see a bit of James Cameron in there. It's like oh, let's who should we get to direct the t- Titanic? Let's get the Piranha Two Flying Killers guy. <laughs> yeah. he's got experience with filming underwater or whatever. Although they do fly in that film, so there's not an awful lot of underwater. So I I I think there's there's a lot. In, in terms of the cinematography and, and the direction about that the really sort of speaks to what you might expect a director who would go on to be a prestige director but but isn't he's just uh he i think he just stayed in the genre he didn't do an awful lot after that looking at his imdb at the moment he did a lot of uh doc, what appears to be short documentaries about sports cars really yeah there's one about uh jaguar ferrari aston martin Porsche, maserati i mean
0: some guys just cranked out these movies because of time and place right they were just like this is this is what we can get some money for this is a good chance for me to establish my name in in some way yeah i mean it's not like he goes on to have a steve minor career or or, or something like that in and out of horror it's not like a sam raimi or tur piece it's it's just a fucking good boilerplate slasher with a lot of clever touches I think
2: yeah I just think when you're like specifically the scene that you're talking about towards the end or towards mm-hmm. the big climax is it has a real sort of strong European feel to it it feels like, like almost like the Palmer approach to like European through through an American's eyes so it's like taking some of those mm. sort of those moments that you that you would find in maybe a Hitchcock or maybe maybe a Giallo or a, a something from from Italy or from France and then twisting it into some sort of american sensibility and then you get something that really works like that off the back of it so it's it's just weird that this guy didn't go on to have a big career in in hollywood after this yeah i mean he did make split second which is fantastic i've seen that it's uh it's that rugger kim patrell oh it's I, I can't maybe i'll add it to the list i don't want to go i don't want to go too too in depth keep adding I'm obviously going to keep adding, but yeah.
0: There was one, uh, there's one line from uh, good old Jason Alexander that uh cracked me up when I first watched it. Made me feel really uneasy when I thought about it and seems completely cheesedick in retrospect. But he turns around to that table full of girls in this hall packed with children and asks the girl, he says he's going to town, can I get you girls anything? And he offers to buy them spermicide. He does like a, yeah. a wink and a kind of thing and he says can I get you girls anything life jacket spermicide and it's fucking so George Costanza
2: did they know what spermicide was
0: (laughs) no idea
2: because like it's not like oh condoms tampons like it's not that it's like hey do you want do you want some of the specific chemical that they use in condoms to, (laughs) to make sure the sperm doesn't accidentally get inside you and get you pregnant
0: it's so fucking wrong it's such a nerdy line delivered by someone so chiseled and charismatic like it fucking <laughs> it kicks my ass every time i see it it's so it needed a hard zoom in on him when he said spermicide if you ask me that's what i would have done yeah um very good i didn't realize it was on mine until quite far into that end sequence either i thought this is a fucking weird and very cool setting for this to have gone to from a summer camp is these weird like blank concrete walls in the woods and then yeah. entryways that don't look like a cheesy typical mine until you see a mine cart and then you're like, okay, this is meant to be a mine. But I, I liked that it felt like a maze. You see a lot of it from above. Brian Backer, who later goes on to play a character called Rat, is running around this fucking maze while Cropsy watches him from above through a greasy lens. It just fucking rips. It's really fucking cool.
2: Um, so The the Burning uh, how many toes up do you give it
0: toes up that's great I mean I think we're we're probably rating these movies obviously within the genre and with, with yeah. the lens that they are you know essentially fun entertaining horror movies I'd give it 13 out of 13 it does everything I want it to as a slasher movie it, do- it surprises me which it really shouldn't because it's a rip off of another movie that I really know really well but it, yeah for everything that I've already said and some more, I think it's it maxes me out in the slasher genre in a really cool way.
2: So 13 out of 13? Yeah, what about you? Yeah, I give it two severed digits up. Nice. I think it's aged better than a lot of the slashes of that time. I think that's why I think it might be better than than Friday the 13th, because I think it's mm. aged better. I think it's shot better. I think it looks slicker. And in the age of OLED TVs and, and stuff like that, I think that sort of has a bit of traction
0: yeah i think friday the 13th gets a lot of credit for things that maybe uh weren't as deliberate as people are giving it credit for looking back like the whole scene where we spend like five minutes watching someone make a cup of tea and walk around a cabin i think a lot of that is more filler than people give it credit for and this movie doesn't waste any time it doesn't linger it doesn't labor anything it just gets in does the job and gets out which is why i yeah. credit it for doing doing the job so well Um
2: i mean i spend my entire lockdown 25 minutes every saturday morning watching <laughs> make a cup of coffee so
0: <laughs> that's a fact that that is a uh, that is definitely something that we both willingly participated in there
2: so you know who are we to judge it's, true. Sean, it's true. Sean Cunningham.
0: I also don't love comparing the two movies. It feels like it should be such a direct and easy thing to do, but it, it doesn't feel like it really gets me anywhere. And I, I love taking them both as the beautiful beast that they are. Uh, and they're both for very different moods, I think. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, oh no, which one shall I watch? I think I know exactly what mood I'm in when I want to watch one or the other, which, yeah. you know, I think speaks to at least a strong sense of identity in one, if not the other. Oh, shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Jamie, we did it.
1: We did it, Sam. That was the burning. How do you feel?
0: I feel fantastic. I love that film. I loved hanging out with you and having a chat, and I hope people love listening to it.
1: Me too. I am so stoked that this podcast is finally going to be out there in the world. If you liked it, which I hope you did, there are loads of ways that you can support the show. You can subscribe to our Patreon. For just three quid a month, you can get, I mean, nothing at the moment, but eventually there'll be stuff on there.
0: You can rate and review us on the internet in a variety of places.
1: Yep, TripAdvisor. Yelp.
0: (laughs) So do do that because it helps us big time uh, in ways that we won't bore you with. Uh, Write something funny on there. If you're going to write a review, be cool. Write something hilarious.
1: If if it's not hilarious, we'll delete it. We won't delete it. That would be awful.
0: I'm not even going to read it. (laughs) but <laughs> the burning it was fun it was a good razz uh, we're very glad that you tuned in thanks for listening uh, anything to add Jamie anything else
1: yeah we'll see you next time for Trick or Treat starring Ozzy Osborne and Gene Simmons starring is a dubious word there but they're Oof. in it
0: I cannot wait Trick or Treat see you then let's go